Well, that's interesting though. Hold on. Cause that you actually, this is, that's really interesting to me because I've been both right where I, I, so I, I was a bartender all through college and yeah, you know, I know a lot of doctors who are doctors now who weren't very responsible with, with their money and still aren't that responsible with their money. Yeah. So what's the answer? How do you figure that out? Well, you know what? We started to look at uh, the probability of success. Um, and one of the things that uh, showed up, and it, it was one of the things that got me thinking about uh, behavioral economics, and, and I didn't even understand it, but this notion of overconfidence. Um, the doctor is overconfident. So if I were going to bet on a guy who was going to spend more than they had, hmm. it was going to be the doctor, not the bartender. The bartender um, was going to spend well within their means. Um, and so on average, uh, I bet I win with bartenders more than I win with doctors. Now the scale, those numbers are way out of scale. Uh, but if you, if you, if you say given their scale, which one are you going to bet? Um, I would bet on the bartender. And that's that, that, that first concept of overconfidence sort of came to me in saying that when people start becoming a bit overconfident in themselves, um, which is a, a favorite of behavioral economics, I could bet on it every day, hmm. um, that you will make a decision based on how, how confident you are in yourself. Wow. Um, I, so we I gotta can, unpack this more. No, I, this is so. Is that kind of the stuff? So then, you know, that's the stuff that that basically it all come that that your real passion was is figuring out how do you assess a person's overconfidence. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. This is our last episode of the year. Uh, thanks so much for for everybody listening. Uh, it, it's grown this year. It's been a lot of fun to talk to people uh, who have, are listening to the podcast and commenting on the podcast. And so I really appreciate that. Um, this podcast episode was with uh, Aldo Zaccaro. He's an economist. He's a behavioral economist. And um, I met him the, for the first time when I was talking to a bunch of people who he happens to work with at Coopervision. And uh, I just wanted to pick his brain about his background and the things and really what makes us do the things we do. Uh, and so that's Aldo's specialty and is a lot of fun to think about and, and talk to him about. So please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends and support those who support us. I want to talk about the My Day Multifocal for a second. It's just coming out and we had the opportunity to do a preclinical trial with this lens this last summer. And there were a couple of things that I thought were really helpful. The first one is that it is different than a lot of the multifocals that we've used before in our practices where patients, especially early emerging presbyopes, really managed the, it didn't cause a lot of additional uh, distance blur for them. And the other thing that was really helpful was, because we've never been involved in a clinical trial before, was to understand uh, the sort of questions that we might ask our patients. And we ask a pa our patients a lot of questions about their patient, about their satisfaction with a contact lens, but what we weren't doing was actually having them score that themselves. So one of the parts of this that was really interesting to me was asking patients on a scale of one to 10, how they would score their vision, how they would score their comfort in their current lenses, and then how they would do the same on their uh, new lenses. And it showed me a lot of times where patients would say they were happy, might rate their vision as a six or a seven, 
And, um, and then it also reframed their thinking about their current satisfaction in their lenses and allowed me to open up the door to offering other solutions. So if you haven't tried something like that in your clinical practice, I would encourage you to. And I would also encourage you to try the MyDay Multifocal for your patients. I have an undergraduate degree from West Virginia. Nothing special, it's just a regular business background uh, in, uh, in, in math. Uh, wasn't quite sure what I was gonna do. Uh, I got it, I, my first job was an interesting first job. It was with uh, Citibank. I was in their card services. And it was, it was interesting because they, they asked me to look at uh, who they would give a credit card to, uh, given that individual will have no credit, and uh, likely will have a profession. So are you gonna give a credit card to a doctor or a bartender? Hmm. Um, and that that's really what got me started thinking, well, hey, that's you know what? Interesting. No, hold on, because that you actually, this is, that's really interesting to me because I've been both, right? Where I, I so <laughs> I, I was a bartender all through college. And, yeah. you know, I know a lot of doctors who are doctors now who weren't very responsible with with their money and still aren't that responsible with their money. Yeah. So what's the answer? How do you figure that out? Well, you know what? We started to look at uh, the probability of success. Um, and one of the things that uh, showed up, and it, it was one of the things that got me thinking about uh, behavioral economics. And, and I didn't even understand it, but this notion of overconfidence. Um, the doctor is overconfident. So if I were going to bet on a guy who was going to spend more than they had, hmm. it was going to be the doctor, not the bartender. The bartender um, was going to spend well within their means. Um, and so on average, uh, I bet I win with bartenders more than I win with doctors. Now the scale, those numbers are way out of scale. Uh, but if you if you if you say given their scale, which one are you gonna bet? Um, I would bet on the bartender, and that's that, that that first concept of overconfidence sort of came to me in saying that when people start becoming a bit overconfident in themselves, um, which is a a favorite of behavioral economics, I could bet on it every day hmm. um, that you will make a decision based on how how confident you are in yourself. Wow. Um, right, we got to unpack this more. No, I, this is, so is that kind of the stuff? So then, you know, that's the stuff that, that basically it all come that, that your real passion was is figuring out how do you assess a person's overconfidence? Well, it was, it was, it, it got me started the thinking, right? And so I said, okay, well, well, well what, what's more in here? And this is actually how I stumbled into behavioral economics and essentially what, what behavioral economics says, hey, look, um, we understand the economic principles. An economic principle will say bet on the doctor. Um, behavioral economics says, yeah, economics principles are fine, but let's put a human in there, and now how are you going to bet? Hmm. And, and, and that's really what inspired me, and I ended up going to um, University of Rochester, getting my PhD in behavioral economics from the University of Rochester. And, and, and there we spent a lot of time not just thinking about the economic principles, which are fine. You know, I like butter and knives, and we can talk about all those things and 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 the the things that economics um, talks about. 
Um, but the reality of it is that a human's going to make that decision. And by and large, humans are going to make decisions which are not at face value rational, which is why I think you brought up um, Freakonomics, yeah. which I love those guys because they take those irrational behaviors and they just make a beautiful book out of it. I wish I would have thought of it. Well, what do, but, what do you um, think is like when you think about the irrational behavior? So, you you know, we talked a lot about um, behaviors related to, you know, what people's experiences are with their vision and how do we as optometrists figure out those experiences and relate to those experiences in a way that's meaningful when we're delivering care to them, specifically with a, yeah. with a contact lens. But if we think about more generally, like what are the things that like blow you away when you actually look at the data and say, what? the economic principles are just completely not working here because people are not uh, the the financial or the normal economics principles aren't working here because people's lizard brains or whatever are just getting in the way what's the one that really blows you away yeah there there's there's a couple of them so w one of them is this notion of temporal discounting um so you know the 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 people that made this uh great is um is walmart and uh, what Walmart said is, you know what? Uh, instead of sending in the rebate, I'll give you an instant rebate. And my instant rebate of $20 versus a rebate you'll mail in the mail for $70 is worth it. And people, because that instant gratification is more powerful than the reality that another $40 would come in the mail four weeks later, disrupts that. From an economic principle, you go, well, why would anybody make that decision? $20 today, $40 tomorrow, I'll take the 40. It's twice as much. And yet we see the opposite happening. The instant rebate is a classical pull on a particular flaw in 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 the way people think or process information. So if if I were if I were in my own business, um, and I were to give somebody an option, $100 or $10 right now, hmm. I would get people excited about taking the $10 right now. They'd walk out smiling, saying, I can't believe I just got hmm. a $10 off. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the thing that you bring up there is, that's interesting to me is that you know, these are the things that as, a, as an independent practitioner or a private practitioner, you know, um, and, and even just a small, when we're talking about like eye care in general, a small business, even if you have a number of companies or a number of locations and a bunch of doctors that work with you, you're still small compared to, to Walmart. You're still, you know, so I don't have the wherewithal, even if I had a huge network, I'd have to have a, I mean, my network would have to be so big. We'd have to really figure out the behavioral economics of like that button push that you're talking about, but they've got probably people like you that are figuring that out. Yeah, they're they're yeah, the, 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 they're looking at. Um, so let let me throw another one at you, and then we'll yeah. we'll stack these. We'll stack. Yeah. These. So one other one that um, that is one of my favorite is about framing. <clears throat> now the, the the reality with framing is that, um, and 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 quite frankly. Um, this is one of the reasons you and I are talking. I threw a piece of information out. Um, you remembered that piece of information. We had an hour's worth of conversation. I would be hard pressed to ask you to remember some of the other stuff that I said, but you remembered that. 
we tend to rely on the first piece of information we say the heaviest. Hmm. I said that first. Um, and and it's stuck. Um, it, it's not uncommon that it stick is it sticks every time. I've learned that 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 happens every time. Um, but if I think of your offices, and I think of, and I and I you know I've told this a hundred times, so it's not like I'm telling anything new. Um, when somebody walks into the office, if the person greeting them um, makes a very nice showing. I could do a lot of sins and errors afterwards, and they're going to remember the greeter. Mm. Um, you know, I pick on Walmart. They're not a dumb company. The fact that they put a greeter there to say hello to you, um, that's the first piece of information you're getting. Walmart can, can take the prices away. They can have empty shelves. They can have God knows what else around. Um, but you're going to remember that, and that framing is so critical. <clears throat> and all too often when – when I walk into, and I walk into a lot of uh, optometric practices, um, I'm not greeted hmm. immediately. Um, and it, it is a fairly costless act to have somebody just say, if somebody walks in, just make them feel immensely special because that's going to carry on. Um, it's amazing what, what people will remember. I'm, 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 I'm fascinated by it because it, 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 it shocks me that, I, I, you could commit a hundred sins and somebody said, yeah, but they said hello right off the bat. You know, they're still good people. So they I, actually I'm sure remember, they actually remember the, the reason why they had the positive experience or it's just subconscious at that point. It's, it, it becomes subconscious, but they remember the feeling. So while they won't remember who did it, while they won't remember what exactly happened, what they, what they will remember is I walked in and I felt good. Uh, I, you'll hear people and they'll describe good in a variety of different ways. It, it, it felt right. Those guys are really good or smart or they're the right people. They'll say words like that. They won't be associated with a very specific act, individual, or thing. Um, but it, it's that generalized feeling that somebody gave because when you walked in, you greeted me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's so simple, and it and I've heard it before, but you know, you forget that there is a specific thing behind it. Which is what's interesting that you're talking about. So then, yeah, there's, there's. A, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that there. The, the other thing that is fascinating to me is um, this notion of peak. <clears throat> and so one of the things that there's, <clears throat> um, there's a, there's a guy that's uh, his name is uh, Daniel Kahneman, um, and he wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And so if you, if you, if you, if, if you've got any downtime and, and I, and I know you don't have much downtime, but if you ever do have downtime, um, pick up the book, uh, uh, Daniel Kahneman, I think his name is spelled K A H N E M A N. I think that's how he spells it. Kahneman. Okay. Um, but it's called thinking fast and slow. It is like the Bible of, of behavioral economics. All right. I got it. And he did, he did something really interesting. He, 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 he took some students and he, held, he had them hold some ice for about 30 seconds. And he had some other, some other students hold ice for about 60 seconds. <clears throat> and then he asked, um, which hurt more? 
And the students that held the ice for 30 seconds said it hurt more than the students that held the ice for 60 seconds. Hmm. And, and so we can process acute very differently than we process con um, chronic. And then in 30 seconds, 60 seconds, I'm exaggerating in the acute versus chronic. But how we process, so things that happen for a short while will, will be exaggerated, either positive or negatively. Hmm. Things that are um, uh, expressed over a long while will be sort of washed down. So if you're going to be really nice to someone, be really nice for a short while <laughs> and then be done. Wow. Does that work with um, niceness because, too, really? Yeah, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing that, that be, um, there is something wired in our brains. Um, I don't know why, but, but that effect, that over time we tend to adapt that adaption that adoption i should say just waters down the experience in our brains for some reason the and, and maybe we can liken it to the either the release of endorphins or whatever but but that acuteness mm. is what's going on yeah um, it's the newness i mean our visual system works the same way you know if, if it's you know if, if if i have this whole background that i'm looking at besides just this screen and nothing's moving and all of a sudden something moves it's a refresh I'm going to pay more attention to that, right? Even though it and negatively or positively, um, it's it's. I think it, it's a, it's the habituation. We see that even just in you know uh, neurophysiology, and you know if I tap on if I tap really lightly like this on your hand all day long, you're going to start to ignore it. Same thing with that happens <clears> with our dry eye patients. They just sort of habituate to the the gradual worsening, as opposed to I always say this when when I see ocular service patients, I got patients that you know, their symptoms they think are kind of normal because, and, and they ask them like, well, do your eyes burn? Are they gritty? Are they itchy? Oh yeah. All the time I do this at the end of the day and oh, I can't, I, you know, it hurts and my eyes water. And, but that's just normal because I'm on a computer all day. It's like, that's not normal, but they, they don't realize it because it, and I always say, if this would have started, you walk, you woke up this morning and this symptom just started as severe as it is right now, you'd be banging on my door. Patients would be banging down my door all day long, just trying to figure out what's going on. But because it, it's such a chronic, to your point, it's such a long, chronic, progressive thing, they don't realize what their eyes were supposed to feel like 10 years ago. They don't get it. Yeah, they don't get it. And, um, and, and so, so much of what I talk about, even inside our, our walls at Cooper Vision, um, I'm like, guys, layering these effects, they're, they're, the, the, the example that I use is I say, look, um, I don't know. I don't know anything about a basketball team. I just know that I'd rather have a tall basketball team rather than a short basketball team. I'm giving you ideas that allow you to have that tall basketball team. You'll still have to do all of the skills. You'll have to teach them how to shoot. You'll have to teach them the rules. You'll have to teach them how to play. But having a tall basketball team is an advantage. These are advantages. Um, they're not deceitful. Sometimes people ask me, "Well, you're being deceitful." Um, I don't think it's being deceitful because this is the way people process information. Hmm. Um, if I use it to help them along, um, then why is it, you know, should I not greet you at the door? Right. Uh, should I, should I not try to like in your example would, of dry eye, should I not try to treat that? Right. It would be deceitful if, 
if by just having a nice greeting at the door and then you're going to you know give the patient a whole bunch of garbage and not take care of them right i mean that would be deceitful right that so i don't think any i mean but that's a good point that that it can come off as like well you know this is manipulative or it's not it's just how do we find my sense is we're trying to find the triggers that improve the experience of what we're already doing that's good for people, right? So we got to get the, it's good for, this is good for patients anyway, like in this, in the scenario of dry eye or scenario of, you know, contact lenses, this is good for the patient anyway, but we've got to figure out like what, what is going to make that patient um, respond to that, that thing um, and the experience uh, in a specific way. Yeah, it's it and 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 help them remember it. Yes. Um, it's it's a lot of the things that we often do are instruction based, um, and helping people sort of anchor in on that instruction and then follow through and then they come back and they're like, well, it's actually worked. So 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 give me an example of that. D- describe what you mean instruction based and then. So often often what what we do is we tell people. Um, information, but we tell people pay, like like a pay two pages. It it is an enormous amount of information. Buried in that enormous amount of information are actually a couple of things. But we don't process information that way. If I were a rational in processing information, yes, I would read everything, distill it. Um, but I don't process information. One of the things that um, that I mentioned in in the book, Thinking Fast and Slow, is it it talks about two centers in our brain a a system one and a system two. Most of our life is driven by system one. System one is actually the way we can actually do things and function. Imagine if everything you had to do had a cognitive decision around it. Should I blink? Should I breathe? Is it time? Do I feel hungry? Is it time? Do I feel sleepy? Is it time? I would not have time to do anything. Instead, I go, it's eight o'clock. I should eat breakfast. Noon, I should eat lunch, five o'clock, dinner time. I may or may not be hungry, but at five o'clock, at noon, at eight, I do these things. They free my brain. Um, those norms happen to us all the time. Um, I am sure you've driven to work, got to work, and not exactly remember how you got to work. Like, I know I drove, but I don't remember the car in front of me. I don't remember stopping at the stoplight. I know I did all these things because I got here. Um, system one's taken over. The more we help people stay in system one without causing them to, 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 to exercise ex- this, this system two, act- from time to time, system two is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I want somebody to pay attention, if I want somebody to adhere to my directions, if I want somebody to recognize what I'm telling them and process it, I should deliver it in a system one fashion. Mm-hmm. If I deliver it in a system two fashion, I'm asking them to work really hard, and more often than not, the decision that they will come up with is not the one I was hoping for. Yeah, and, and in fact, from a patient care standpoint, it's not the one that might be the best for the patient, right? So if you're if you're if you're trying to deliver something that's the best for the patient, and you put them into system two thinking, then and they don't have the resources to think through it uh, effectively, then then they're going to make the wrong decision. Right. So if, if cost for some reason is is something that their system two is going to focus on 
and spit out this thing that means that they're going to take the other option for treatment that is less expensive but not as good for them, uh, then then they're going to do that because system two overrode uh, was was too focused on something that um, that that was probably not the most important thing for their their outcomes for whatever that thing is. is that is that probably a correct assumption? Yeah, for what exactly. Like. Yeah, exactly. So the simple example there is when I say it costs about a cup of coffee a day, that's a system one. Mm. I know coffee. Mm. I know I have one. Um, I know I have them every day. Okay. Mm. About a cup of coffee a day. Gone. No real thinking. If I say it's going to cost $4.35 a day over a 30-day period, over a 12-month period, over 365 days, mm. I'm going to tell somebody, oh my God, I got to do all that thinking. I don't know if I want that. That doesn't seem right. Seems expensive. Yeah, and yeah. that system too just took over. Yeah. So yeah. I'm. I'm uh, I this morning I, uh, I'm working on my pilot's license, and everything I'm doing right now, I want it to get to system one, right? But but it's all system <laughs> two. So what, yep, exactly. What's the what's the transition then? Like, um, you know, we think about this like stuff. Usually, I, I I like to think of things as things being hard, and that's where I'm at in terms of of the the learning to fly. And then they're going to get easy, but then there's going to come a point in time where they get hard again. Do you have a behavior economics for why that thing gets hard again? And then it gets easy again where, you know, I think about, I'm thinking that's probably going to happen at different stages of, of where I'm more comfortable doing something. So it got easy. And then it's like, okay, well now I want to do this next thing that I know is sort of at the barrier of where I'm comfort, comfortable. It can be safe, but like, how do people trigger that next area so that they can push into system two and, and still be comfortable with it and not disrupt everything? It really depends on that overconfidence aspect. Mm. Um, at some point you're going to become confident. Um, and then there will be a thing that's going to toss you into overconfident. And I think the difference between what you described and what a lot of people experienced is the line between where confidence and overconfidence gets blurred a little bit. Um, and so right now you're not overconfident. That's why system two is in charge. Hmm. And you're going, I'm going to check that gas gauge. Wait, let me check that gas gauge. I better check that gas gauge. Mm -hmm. um, when system, when, when, when system two gets it, you're going to look at the gas gauge. It's, it's good enough. I got it. I know that I'm only going there and it's fine. Um, <clears throat> when you become overconfident, that's when, that's when the problems start. Now, now we're talking about that as, an effect, a, a, a real disastrous effect of, right. of, of flying. Um, it, you could also use that overconfidence, um, and, and we see it all the time. Um, and this is where you know you go, there are people that are less scrupulous than others because mm -hmm. the, if, if I say, you're a doctor, you're probably one of the best doctors around. You're a great doctor. Mm -hmm. That's why you should do this. And if I got you believing that and all of a sudden you're doing a procedure that you shouldn't be doing, you don't have enough training for those are, and, and that happens often with people. Hmm. Um, it usually happens with people on a financial side. Um, my example earlier was the, the giving of the credit card or not giving of the credit card. The confidence you have on your ability to earn hmm. um, has an effect on that. If you don't reach that threshold, which you created in your mind. So I'm a doctor, I should be able to make $500,000 a year. 
um, at $500,000 a year, I could afford all of these very fancy things. Um, that's a guy waiting to default. Hmm. Um, whereas a bartender says, you know what? I'm only really as good as my tips are for tomorrow and Tuesday's not really a good night. Um, th their, their, their sort of propensity to be overconfident goes way down. Um, which in a financial sense, from a bank's perspective and what I was doing at the time said, Hey, you know what? That's a better bet if you want no defaults. And so then, uh, so then in the relating this then to the, the financial aspects of, of, um, you know, uh, thinking about things one versus two, um, your, your doctor is basically on autopilot in terms of his finances because he's overconfident in his ability to earn. But, right. but the bartender is constantly thinking about in your scenario, right? Thinking about that next, what's going to happen tomorrow night. So, so he's always aware of, okay, all these other moving parts that he has to pay attention to because they, they matter so much. Yeah. So, and what happens system one, that shortcuts all of that system one then comes in for the bartender and goes, um, Hey, you don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden conservative hits and, and. <laughs> I was just going to say, and it, it system one takes over for the doctor and says, Hey, you're, you're better than that. Yeah. And then they will overstand. Now I'm generalizing. Not no, no, I, I get it. No, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good analogy. And I think the, um, the, the thing I think about is how do you identify when you need to engage system two? Uh, and like, how, how do you avoid the overconfidence? Do you know that answer? Yes. Yeah, so, so if we're talking about help, like when you want to help so someone, um, there I and 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 I always talk about giving people small bits of information, allowing them to digest very small bits of information. So, if we're talking about a patient, right, <coughs> and you're and you're and and we'll we'll, we'll use a very simple example: um, buying an annual supply or not buying an annual supply. A very simple example of of what feels like an expenditure happening. Um, if you want that patient, if if you want someone to really evaluate that decision, then you're going to go. We're going to work. Let, let's let's go through a worksheet. This is how much your insurance pays. This is how much it would be out of pocket. This is how much you would have. If I want to engage a patient at that level, in some patients it's important to do that. In other patients, and, and maybe they've been a regular patient, and they're, 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 they've got some sort of history around that, and, and you don't want to create that scenario, then you're you're back in, you're back on another scenario saying, hey, you know what? It's about a dollar a day. That's what you get with this, and you go, oh, well, about a dollar a day, not too much. I'm gonna I'll, I'll go with that decision. It's it's deciding when you want to engage in 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 that. Um, I don't think there is a magic. A characteristic or demographic. I wish there was, mm. um, um, but it is about trying to engage somebody at the right time. Yeah. So last question, because I'll be respectful of your time. What is the question that you wonder about that you don't know the answer to related to behavioral economics that intrigues you the most? <clears throat> That's what would a you good like way. to you know, know that you don't already know in terms of how, why people do what they do? Um, it's interesting. I don't get that question very often. Um, uh, it, it, 
the, I, I guess the thing that um, surprises me the most uh, is how often people make references to things that aren't um, they're they're not they're not common they're not they're not in they're not in the category we'll say um, it's 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 really striking to me um, and but I don't understand the the principle that drives that um, my phone is a thousand dollars so I'll buy a Starbucks coffee hmm. um, there the the disconnect between those things often confuses me uh, because I w I wouldn't think that there'd be a disconnect like that but i do see it all the time so so um i didn't i didn't grasp so my phone is a thousand dollars so i'll buy a starbucks coffee so what do your you mean behavior in one so a behavior in one category influences a behavior in another category in a way that i would not have anticipated oh oh so like what you're saying is that why somebody who um, okay, so I have a behavior for an electronic device, and that behavior might be that I'm inclined to purchase it, but then I'm not inclined yeah. to purchase something that, or I am inclined to purchase something that is con consistent, like coffee. But you can't figure out the connection between the electronic device and coffee. It, I would not. I would not expect that. For example, I, I um, you're they're both regular devices. Um, you chose a, 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 a feature-rich device on one side, and, an, in the, in the, and you exhibit both this regular behavior. I drink coffee every day, and yet my like you're not on that. You're not exhibiting. You're using a different set of rules, and oh. all of a sudden, the rules that gar govern those decisions. Um, then become confusing because now I go, hey, wait a second. So you're one person over here mm. and you're a completely different person over there. Mm. Um, and, and often I think about that and saying we, we actually don't have an, a behavioral economic principle that governs that. That actually I can tell a lot of things, but that one is not one that, that governs. Um, mimicry governs a lot. Like for example, this you can do, it's, it's actually fun to do. Um, when you're walking with someone, if you start to slow down, they will slow down. Oh yeah. If you start to speed up, they will speed up. <laughs> and it's and and there's this mimicry going My on. My kids and all do that sudden, to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> there's mimic, and people will do mimicry in in you know that's just walking. But you can get people to do the things that you're doing. Um, but it always confuses me when I see two different categories but they have behavior isn't in that yeah that happens all the time and then you see people touching yeah. themselves very yeah. funny You're, i was very trying to get you to rub your face yeah <laughs> <laughs> this has been great Aldo. Yeah. thanks so much this has been a lot of fun oh no worries um i really appreciate it <laughs>